Good morning, Boker Tov, everyone. Hope you're having a fine day this morning. Glad that you're with me from all over the uh, fruited plain. Baruch Hashem, this is an Aliyah day, and I'm uh, so uh, glad to be with you, Baruch Hashem. We are in the third Aliyah, the third reading of Parisha Vayishlach. We are, we will find, find this Parsha, or this Aliyah rather, on uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 32, beginning in verse 31. We are continuing with uh, Yaakov's encounter with the, the mystical being, the, the angel. We said yesterday that this angel, according to many interpretations, is the, uh, the evil angel, if you will, the, uh, of, of Esau. That's what many people believe. Uh, many of the ancient commentators believe that this was actually the, the angel of Esau, that his protective angel, so to speak, that he was wrestling with. And as I said yesterday, I... I color outside the lines a little bit on this particular topic, and uh, I think that's just because of my particular uh, insight and, or, or viewpoint of Mashiach Yeshua, and uh, more intensely about Messiah Yeshua being uh, Mem Tet and so on, but uh, that's kind of more of a off the topic. But I happen to believe that this is not just any angel, I don't think it's actually the uh, angel of Esau with whom he is wrestling, albeit um, that there's certainly some wonderful lessons that can be derived from that, and I don't don't take anything away from that. I think there's some really great lessons. But I just happen to believe that mystically, on a very soul level, that this is actually Memteth with whom he's wrestling, and it's basically based in large part on, on what we're about to read. Uh, but... Uh, having said that, um, again, I just want to uh, read the parasha and let it kind of speak for itself. So we begin in verse 31. It says, So Yaakov called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen the divine face to face, yet my life was spared. So, in much the same way, when you look at the story in the book of Judges, I think it's the 13th chapter, I believe it is where the angel of Hashem appears to uh, Samson's parents, and Manoah makes a declaration. He, he sees this man. He thinks it's a man. Uh, he believes it's a man. It looks like a man. Uh, has no reason to believe it isn't a man. Um, but when he sees the man, he, they, he and his wife both believe that the man is merely a prophet. And so they offer, they say, let us, uh, let us have a festival because of this great news that you bring us that we're going to have this amazing baby boy. Um, and so they bring a lamb, they offer up the lamb, and all of a sudden, this man, this Ish, goes up into the flame. And Manoah cries out and says that we're going to die. We're going to die. Why? Because, he doesn't say because we've seen the face of an angel. Uh, because who dies when you see the face of an angel? No one dies when you see the, see the face of an angel. Uh, Lot saw the face of two angels. He didn't cry out to his wife and say, we're going to die because we've seen their face. But Manoah cried out and said, we're going to die because we've seen the face of God. And of course, his wife said, well, if he wanted to kill us, we'd already be dead. So there's a mystery there. How can they see the face of God and not die? Because the face of God in that instance, and in this instance, I submit, is in the face of Memtet, the face of Yeshua, the, the face of God, right? 
Okay, so let's think about that for just a second, just to get a little little bit deep with this, because it says, Yaakov called the name Paniel, for he had seen the, the divine face. And the sages point out that there is a difference in spelling. So it says here in verse 31, Vaikra Yaakov Shemakom Peniel, and so Peniel is spelled with a Yud. Later, when it refers to the place, it says Kasher Avaret Penuel. It's spelled with a Vav. So, it, at the moment in which Yaakov is wrestling with this man, this angel, he, spe- he says the name of the Torah pronounces Peniel, which the Yod is on a higher level than the Vav. So, Yaakov is having, in his understanding, at a higher level. Okay? And so. He's wrestling with this man. Manoah says, I've seen the face of God, and I didn't die. By the way, in that story in Judges, I don't have it in front of me, but in that story in Judges, Manoah asked the angel, what's your name? Much in the same way, Yaakov asked this angel, what's his name? Interestingly enough. And so the angel tells Manoah and his wife, why do you want to know my name? Very similar response to what the angel tells Yaakov. The only difference is, is that the angel tells uh, Manoah, my name is hidden, right? Well, the word for hidden is the very same word that's used in the book of Isaiah that says that this son will be born, right, to the, to the Alma, to the young woman, which, uh, which is actually... Uh, Alma is a, a synonym for Betula, for virgin. And that the, one of the names of this son is going to be Wonderful, right? Wonderful, Counselor, you know, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace is where our synagogue derives its name from, Sar Shalom. And uh, anyway, the point being is that when he says, My name is hidden, you could also read that as, My name is Wonderful which is one of the names of the son born to the Alma, to the young woman, which is, again, a synonym for Betula, for uh, virgin. So Manoah says, listen, I've seen the face of God. How can you see the face of God? By the way, Yeshua is the face. Uh, if you look at some of the original prints of the Machzor for Rosh Hashanah, which I have one from Art Scroll. Art Scroll has since, I love Art Scroll. Art School is an amazing publisher. It's my number one favorite publisher. I have stock in Art School, not really, but uh, uh, my house, uh, my the name I live uh, on my street name in in my street name is Art School. I'm just kidding, but really I love them. Okay, but they in their new editions of the Rosh Hashanah Magzor, they have um, removed. The bracha during the uh, shofar blessings that actually says in the original language, saying that our shofar blast ascends to Yeshua, who is the Kohen Gadol, and it it literally refers to him as Sarpaniel, the Prince of the Face, the Prince of the Face. Why does it call him the Prince of the Face? Because he is the Prince of the Face. He is the face of God. Moreover, as I said yesterday, and I've talked about this in a drosh before, that the top of the ark, the top of the ark, 
is referred to as the face. The face. So actually, think about this. When the high priest walked into the Holy of Holies to put the atonement blood on the ark, we say that he he put it on the top of the ark, the mercy seat. That's true. But it literally says that he sprinkles the blood on the face. Uh, and so he also sprinkles it on the parochial as well. But he sprinkles, sprinkles it on the face, which is why Yeshua had to have blood on his face, you understand, because he's the face of God. And so Yaakov cries out and says, this is Paniel. I have seen the divine face. He didn't say I saw the face of an angel. He didn't say, how do we call Hasatan, cursed be he? Because essentially that's what a lot of the commentators here say. And again, I, I understand I'm calling outside the lines and I don't want to take anything away from the ancient sages. Who am I to, to say anything? I, I'm, nothing, I'm nothing but dust and ash. But the point being is that how can you look at a demon or you know, an evil spirit and refer to the evil spirit as divine face? It's not. So you say the divine face, but yet my life was spared. How, if, if you're looking at a demon, even if you want to say, well, the demon is, is divine in the essence that it's an angel. Okay, fine. So what, since when do demons or angels uh, take our life away when we look at them? The only thing that removes our life when we look at it is Hashem in his glory. This is why Hashem told Moshe, you, you can't see my face, but my back you can see, right? What did he show him, by the way? When he said, you could see my back. The sages say that when he saw the back of God, he saw the back of God's head. What was God wearing? The sages say he was wearing tefillin. And that Moshe saw the knot of the tefillin that's on the back of the head. That, that knot, my friends, is in the shape of the letter Dalit in Hebrew. So when he showed Moshe his back, he showed Moshe the Dalit. Who is the Dalit? The Dalit is Yeshua. He's the door. This is why you have Yehuda, you have Yudke, Vavke. The only difference between Yudke, Vavke, and Yehuda is the Dalit. This, the sages say that the reason is because the Dalit represents Mashiach, because the Mashiach is the door who will lead us to Hashem. So literally, when, when Hashem showed Moshe his quote-unquote face, my face you cannot see, but you see my back, he showed him the door. He showed him Mashiach. He showed him the Dalit. So, by the way, it says here um, in the uh, commentary by Rabbi Munk, it says, Ki reti Elohim panim el panim. For I have seen the divine face to face. Face to face. By the way, again, just we got, you got to learn to connect the dot. The dot. <coughs> Excuse me. You got to learn to connect the dots here. Hashem, when he was advocating for Moshe's greatness before his uh, brothers and sisters, a brother and sister, he said, listen, every other prophet I speak to in dreams and visions, not so with Moshe. He said, I speak to Moshe face to face. In fact, if you look at the book of Numbers there, you'll notice that it says, Hashem says that Moshe speaks to my image. If you look that word up in Hebrew, you will find that the word image is the very same word for idol, which is very peculiar. Nevertheless, 
when the term face-to-face -face is used, it's used also in connection to Moshe. So we see a connection here. Manoah saw the face of God. Yaakov saw the face of God. Moshe sees the face of God. And when we look at Yeshua, we see Hashem's face. So it says here, for I've seen the divine face. How could Yaakov, now listen to this, because this we're about to find a precedent. How could Yaakov, a human being of flesh and blood, grapple with an angel who is, the Torah tells us, nothing but pure spirit? From Psalms 104.4. It is, it is uh, in its reply to this question, the Zohar states. Now, uh, just a little, you know, uh, I don't really want to, a lot of, the Zohar gets a bad rap. Um, from people that uh, don't know what it is. But the, we get so much information from the Zohar that confirms what we believe uh, in Yeshua. Okay, and so this is an example of that. So it says, the Zohar of this question says <clears throat> that the angels are capable of adopting a corporal form when they enter the realm of men, just as conversely men adopt forms of existing angels when they ascend to their sphere, as we see with Moshe in Exodus 34, 28. What's it talking about? Okay, first of all, in Judaism, Memtet, who I believe to be Yeshua, um, is a quote-unquote angel. Although he is an angel, but he's not an angel. He's like higher than the angels. But for the sake of just clarity, because we, we can't always understand everything. So we just say angel, because what else can we say? He is God. He's not God. He's like God. Have you seen him? He is God. He's like, he's like uh, Yosef who is the viceroy of Pharaoh. He is Pharaoh, but he isn't Pharaoh. If you've seen him, you've seen Pharaoh. Whatever he says, Pharaoh says. But the only thing that separates between him and Pharaoh is the throne. You see? It's, 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 but he's not. you can't say he's just an official. He's higher than an official. Right? So, he, so what is he? He's an angel. But that aside, that's, it's a mystery, right? The point being is that this sets a precedent that a spiritual being like an angel can take a corporal form and become like a man when he enters the realm of men. In like fashion, we take the form of angels when we enter their realm. There's a whole midrash about this, that when Moshe went up to the Mount Moriah, he, he didn't just go up to the mountain. It's not as if he just sat on the mountain and God came down and talked to him there. That's not what happened. What happened is Moshe went into Shemayim. And when he went into Shemayim, he became like an angel, and he, he ascended through the ranks of angels. And when it came time for him to come into where Memtet was, it was necessary for him to become a Lapid. It was necessary for him to become a flame of fire. He was the original human torch. He was the original human torch. Who knows? Maybe that's where, they, where the... Uh, the creators of the human torch got the story because a lot of them were Jewish. But anyway, that's that's whole beside the point. He became the original human torch. Why does the Midrash say that he had to be changed into a flame of fire? Because Memtet was a flame and is a flame of fire. You know, like my God is a consuming fire. Hmm, Selah. But we also know that the book of Isaiah referring to Mashiach, a title of Mashiach is Lapid, a torch. So you see, this is the this is where it all uh, is connecting. Very, very interesting. But we have here again just a insight 
a, a precedent, okay, which is very important when you're establishing things, that you have a precedent, a precedent here that an angel can take on the form of a man. <clears throat> now, Rambam, he did not, uh, Rambam had a little bit different opinion about whether or not these visions are real or not real. Was he, was Yaakov literally wrestling or was he having an imagination uh, and so on and so on. But I love what Rabbi Monk brings down and he says here, Yaakov uh, stresses here that his encounter with the angel depended only on his sense of vision. In other words, <clears throat> he, could, he was able to have the encounter because he was able to have the vision. Right? So I liken this back to, can you see Yeshua? Do you have the vision to see Yeshua? Not everybody has the vision to see Yeshua. We're blinded by our own whatever, our own agendas, our uh, what we think is important, what's not important. Some people lose the vision of Yeshua because they're more concerned with being accepted and not rejected. Some people lose the vision of Yeshua because they can't they can't answer all the unanswerable questions, which, by the way, will never be answered, right? Some people lose the vision of Yeshua because of... Uh, of, of hardship and, and, and persecution and things of this nature. But for those who can maintain the vision of Yeshua, those who can see the vision have the ability to wrestle with the divine and overcome. And not that we can, not that we can overcome Yeshua or we can overcome the divine. Not that we can, <clears throat> we can uh, you know, uh, have a successful MMA fight, God forbid, with Memtet. But rather, it's like, the, like I said yesterday, it's like the father who's wrestling with his son, and the son refuses to quit. And the father allows his son to win because he's moved by his intensity. That we cleave to him and refuse to let go. We have to continue to fight and never let go. Because the enemy, more than anything, wants you to quit. The enemy, more than anything, wants you to denounce Yeshua. The enemy, more than anything, wants you to snuff out your life. The enemy, more than anything in the world, wants you to stop pursuing truth. More than anything, he wants you to give up. He wants you to throw in the towel. He wants to beat you down until you stop. That's more than anything in the world. The enemy wants you to, to, to just lay it all down. Walk away. Build a wall in front of you. Can't surpass it. What the enemy hates more than anything is for you to continue pushing forward. What the enemy hates more than anything is for you to refuse to quit. Right? To lose, to not lose your vision, to not lose your perspective. Right? We got to keep the perspective. Like Yaakov kept the perspective. So it says in verse 32, the sun rose for him as he passed by Noel and was limping on his hip. Therefore, the children of Israel are not to eat the deplaced sinew on the hip pocket to this day because he struck Yaakov's hip socket on the displaced sinew. So, uh, this is why we don't eat the back half of the cow, for instance, because of this very thing. Um, now, I love, again, another Zohar drop to this point. Because there's different explanations of why we don't eat the sinew and what it represents. And they're all really great. But the Zohar points out that the reason why we do not eat the displaced uh, area, that, that area, because of the sinew um, um, on the hip socket is because 
The muscle constitutes the physical support for the genital organ, which are the source of impure elements. It says here, the numerous ramifications of the sciatic nerves surround the fortify the organ. Um, it says, the wicked walk on every side when baseness is exalted among the sons of men, from Psalm 12, 9. And so, eating this muscle has the effect <coughs> of attracting the forces of impurity toward man. The muscle bears the name Hanashe, derived from the verb nasha, to forget. When man eats it, he consequently forgets himself and forgets his obligation to God. Esau's spirit discovered that Yaakov was strong in combat and that his whole body was invulnerable. His only weak point that he could find was the region of his genital organ. And some say that this might have been an allusion to his marriage of the sisters or what have you. The point being, as it goes on to explain, is that one of the weaknesses of the Jew is, and you could say you could say that this is perhaps a weakness of all men, is this area of, 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 of the potential of being seduced and so on. So we avoid eating this area in, in order to avoid that aspect, which is one of the reasons why modesty, to include Shomer Nagia, is such a valuable custom and tradition in Judaism. We often say that we build fences around the Torah, which are completely valid. We, we build fences around the Torah in order to prohibit us from breaking the Torah. And some people would say, well, um, I think that we don't have to build a fence. But, you know, it's ridiculous. Because someone who, uh, right, it, it's a common knowledge. Let's give you a simple example of a fence that everybody would agree is appropriate. And this is just what it means to build a fence. We know that adultery is forbidden. Absolutely. This is why uh, we men uh, in leadership, like rabbis, obviously pastors do the same thing. We do not or should not counsel a woman uh, by ourselves. Our wives should be with us or some other female, you know, whatever. Somebody should be in the room, right, where we're counseling. This is the same reason why uh, a, a man does not get into a car by himself with, with a female who's not his wife or his daughter or sister or whatever. Same reason. We build a fence. Now, sometimes these fences can be crazy. We can build a fence and a razor wire and a moat and a wall and electrical, you know, fence. It's some kind of, it gets kind of ridiculous sometimes. But when it comes to the issue of sexual immorality, this is an appropriate place to build a fence and a razor wire and a moat and electric fence and a minefield. This is an appropriate place. Why? Because it's such a place of vulnerability. And so this is just a reason why we don't eat that particular nerve. Now, continuing the story right quick, it says, Jacob, we go from the fight now to Jacob encountering uh, Esau, switching gears a little bit. It says, Yaakov raised his eyes and saw, and behold, Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two handmaidens. He put the handmaidens and their children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Yosef last. Then he himself went ahead of them and bowed earthward seven times until he reached his brother. Esau ran towards him, embraced him, fell upon his neck and kissed him. Many people say that, uh, um, that uh, his, his kiss was not sincere. But nevertheless, it says, He raised his eyes and saw the woman and children, asked whose are these, and he said, The children whom God graciously give, has given your servant. Now, to the verse 2, where it says, Ve'et Rachel, Ve'et Yosef, Acharanim, and Ye Rachel and Yosef were last. 
To this insight, uh, Rabbi Monk brings down this really uh, wonderful little little uh, nugget. It says, But Mordecai did not bow down or prostrate himself before Haman. The, from the book of uh, Megillah Esther 3.2. The Jews said to him, Do you not see that you're exposing us to risk of death? Why do you transgress the king's command? He answered, I am a Jew. But they countered, and did not Yaakov prostrate himself seven times before Esau? He replied, Benjamin, the patriarch's youngest son, was not yet born when that happened. He never bowed down. right? So they're saying, hey, listen, how come he didn't bow down? Listen, uh, Yaakov, bow down before Esau, no big deal. Isn't your life more valuable? He says, no, because my father didn't bow down. You know why? Because my father wasn't born yet. So it says he never bowed down. Now... I am his descendant because Mordecai was of the tribe of Benjamin, even though he was a Jew, because all Jews, regardless of what tribe you come from, are Jews. So it says, and I will not bow down either, Midrash Esther. To Sifra Devarium 33.12, it says, the temple in Jerusalem was erected in the territory of Benjamin for, of the twelve sons, he alone did not prostrate himself and bow before Esau the idolater. The moral of the story is never bow down. Never bow down. Now, to verse 3, it says, It says, He himself went ahead of them. Rabbi Monk points out the personal pronoun who is frequently used in the Torah to refer to the Shekinah, the glory of God. It says, The Zohar